Last week, uh, we were in Antioch, Syria. Now, for most of us, we probably wonder why in the world, why do, why do we, tra- on this map of kind of the Middle East, we've been in Jerusalem, that made sense. Then we kind of broadened out to Judea, the state around Jerusalem, and then Samaria, and we touched on Galilee. But now, now we're moving up the coast through Phoenicia, and now we're up to Syria, kind of touching on to Asia Minor. We've had a couple of touches with Africa, and we might really wonder, what, what, what? Why are we, why are we, take, why are we pausing in Antioch? I've lost my place. I found a couple of things this morning that I was reading that I thought you might be interested in, so I may have to go by memory, or I could find my little highlights. One of the reasons we're in Antioch, believe it or not, at this time in history, in Acts, Antioch is the third largest city in the world. Who would have thought that? Rome was number one. Alexandria, Egypt, number two, and then Antioch, Syria, third largest city in the world. Antioch was a cosmopolitan city where Jew and Gentile Greek and barbarian rubbed shoulders, where Mediterranean civilization met the Syrian desert. This this next sentence is really important. Racial and religious differences which loomed so large in Jerusalem seem much less important in Antioch. The church in Antioch, from the outset, had an ethos quite distinct from that of the Jerusalem church. So really what we're, what we're being introduced to is that God now is growing this, this large and strong multicultural community. And he's, he's done it, he's done it in Jerusalem but it's really been primarily with Jewish people, Jewish people who changed their mind about Jesus. They really specifically changed their mind about Messiah. They they thought, oh, well, this Messiah package in in Jesus, it's a different package than what we thought, but no, he's got to be the one. And they also changed their mind about the kingdom. The kingdom, again, in the Jewish package, what Jesus brought was just different. And so you've got Jews that say, you know, I, I want to follow him. And he's different than what I thought he would be. And the kingdom that he's bringing is different. But no, this has got to be it. So we've primarily had Jews following Jesus from Jerusalem all around the Mediterranean basin. Jews gathered. Pentecost was lots of different nations represented. But it's primarily Jewish people that decided to follow Jesus. And then we've had these little touches of the nations, like the Ethiopian eunuch, and like the Cornelius, the centurion. So, so now the nations are being brought in, but now we're in, we're in Antioch, and something really big is exploding in Antioch. This multicultural community, just as you just kind of look at the paragraph in Acts 11 that we're kind of playing around, reading, and, and focused on, You've got Jerusalemite Jews. That would be Jews from Jerusalem. They're following Jesus and they're fleeing the persecution that broke out with the martyrdom of Stephen. So they've traveled through Judea, Samaria, up the coast of Phoenicia to Antioch, Syria. Then you've got Jews uh, that are following Jesus and they're, they're moving to Antioch from Cyrene. Cyrene's Libya, northern Africa. What? And then the island of Cyprus. You've got others that are coming 
to Antioch. And then they, then, they, then they look at this cosmopolitan city that is not just Jewish, it's also Greek. And this time it's not Greek-speaking Jews, it's Greek, like pagans, Greeks, Hellenists. And so these followers of Jesus who are Jewish in background look at these Greek neighbors and think, well, maybe, what, what would happen if we told them about Jesus? What if we shared the good news of the kingdom with these Greeks? What would happen? Well, they believe too. They said, well, we, we want in on that. That's a good deal. We want in on following Jesus. So you've, now you've got Greeks, you've got Jews, people from Jerusalem, people from Cyrene, people from Cyprus. And then the church in Jerusalem hears, hey, there's something really good happening. So then Barnabas comes. Barnabas, remember Barnabas? He, he's a, he was, he was a Levite priest. He lived on Cyprus. And he decided, you know, Jesus is for me. So much so that I'm selling my home. I'm selling my family property. I'm going to contribute it to the apostles. And I'm in. I'm in. Sign me up. I'm in this. So you got this priest who's now following Jesus, who's a great encourager. So, hey, Barnabas, you... You can probably handle the diversity of things happening because you're from Cyprus, you're not from Jer Jerusalem, so go, go check it out and let us know what's happening. So he gets there and he thinks, wow, this is great. We've got Greeks, we've got Jews, we've got people from Africa, the Middle East, Asia Minor, all beginning to follow Jesus. And then he, oh, you know what? There's a guy that really needs to be here. His name is Saul. He's in Tarsus. He's in southern Turkey. I need to go get him and bring him. See, see how all this stuff is mixing and mingling in this, this large and strong multicultural community that God is growing. Now the question becomes, and it's the question that Luke will answer, is what, what do you call? Well, what do you call this thing? What do you call a multicultural community of Jews and Greeks who are following Jesus in Syria? Has a little bit different ethos than the church in Jerusalem. What is this thing? Acts 11, 24 to 30. The community grew large and strong in the master. Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul, and he found him, and he brought him back to Antioch. They were there a whole year, meeting with the church and teaching a lot of people. It was in Antioch that the disciples were for the first time called Christians. It was about this same time that some prophets came to Antioch from Jerusalem. One of them named Agabus stood up one day, and prompted by the Spirit, warned that a severe famine was about to devastate the country. The famine eventually came during the rule of Claudius. So the disciples in Antioch decided that each of them would send whatever they could to their fellow Christians in Judea to help out. And they sent Barnabas and Saul to deliver the collection to the leaders in Jerusalem. Now, if we're going to understand what this new thing is, we've got to start with Jesus and really his failure to meet Israel's messianic expectation. Jesus just didn't fit the bill. If you notice at the end of this listing on the right side there, 
uh, Jesus did not correspond to the hoped-for Messiah of Israel. I think it would be fair to say that Jesus didn't correspond to what the Jewish hope was then and now. Jesus just didn't fit what the Jews thought the Messiah would be in several ways. One, Jesus did not regard the Roman political power, the adversary of the imminent kingdom of God. In the messianic vision of Israel, when the kingdom came, the Romans would be wiped out. That didn't happen when Jesus came. And a matter of fact, Jesus, hey, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. And Jesus really made, he said that the real adversary, it's not a political power. The real adversary is the kingdom of darkness. It's, it's, it's Satan and his dominion. That's, that's what you need to worry about. I would, don't worry about Rome. There's something bigger and more powerful and more evil. Jesus, did, he never sought power or authority. He was a servant. He did not dominate through battle and victory. His ministry included suffering and defeat. You know, when you, th- when you read that list, I, you know, what's kind of going on in the back of my mind is, oh my gosh, I think our culture is really looking for this Messiah figure that would regard political power as the adversary of the church. That surely if Messiah came, he'd have lots of, you know, he'd have the, like, the goods of power and authority. And that, man, he'd overcome all our adversaries with battle and victory. So may, maybe it's not just this Jewish hope of some Messiah. You know, maybe even we fall into that. But Jesus doesn't fit the bill. See, really what Jesus does through his life and his ministry by visiting us is there dawns a new concept of what it means to be the Messiah of the world. And the Messiah of the world is not just the Messiah of Israel. He's the Messiah of the world, of Jew and Gentile. And yet, while there may be this question mark about Jesus, is he the Messiah, is he not the Messiah in Jerusalem, in Antioch, there was no question. You see, the disciples for the first time are called Christians. What does Christian mean? It denotes Christ's adherents, those who belong to him. The Christians in Antioch were now viewed as a separate society rather than a section of the Jewish synagogue. The church is no longer a sect of Judaism. It's beginning to form its own identity. And it's Jew and it's Gentile... It's, it's, you're, we're, not, we're, not, we're not creating two little things, but there's a new name that's coming. The name is Christian. Those that belong to Christ. That's what this community is called. Those that belong to Christ. You would hear every language under the sun in Antioch if you went from one part of town into the other. But the one language you could guarantee to be understood in Antioch was Greek. Christ was the Greek word for Messiah. So when this multicultural community of Jew and Gentile following Jesus in Antioch is being called, probably by those that are witnessing what's happening, they didn't come up with the name themselves, they said, 
Those people, that community, they belong to Christ. In Greek, they belong to Christ. In Hebrew, they belong to Messiah. They belong to God's anointed king. So the favorite title, the kind of the way to distill all of that, I love this description. If you're a Christian, if we are Christians, then we are the king's people. We are the king's people. Jews and Gentiles in one community following Christ, the Messiah, God's anointed one, the king, that's the king's people. And when you're one of the king's people, it's not just about a name. You can't just get a t-shirt. I belong to the king. There's, there's something about this community that goes to the essence of who they are. There's something within that's coming out. There's something about their presence. There's something about their being. Hey, they're not just Christians by name. There's something within them that just speaks volumes. There's something going on. And they express belonging to the Messiah, belonging to the King. These King's people express who they are by a lifestyle that's different and better than what Judaism or Hellenism had to offer. Christian. The king's people, it's really just another way of saying disciples. But it's, there's a twist on it. God's done something to kind of up the ante about who we are. Now we also may be wondering, well, why in the midst of this are first called Christians and then Saul, why, why is Saul being brought into this mix and then why is Agabus, this prophet, being, what's all that about? How's this all mixed together? So just a couple of quick things. I think when Barnabas got to Antioch and he's hearing this, hey, these people are called the king's people and it's Greek and it's, and it's Jew and they're following and they're, they're, being, they're together in one community. I think he remembered, you know, Saul had a calling on his life. When Jesus, when Jesus introduced himself to Saul, he said something about the ministry that Saul would have. I have picked him, Jesus said, as my personal representative to non-Jews, to Greeks, to Gentiles, and to kings, and to Jews. And so when Barnabas sees this, this growing community in its multiculturalism in Greeks, he says, man, <laughs> this is the time for Saul. Jesus has called Saul to speak into this community. And so he goes to Tarsus around the corner from Antioch and brings him back. For a year, they're, they're teaching together. For Saul, later to be called Paul. Saul is his Hebrew name. Paul is his Greek name. So that's it. There's nothing else beyond that. But for, for him, so as, a, as a former Pharisee, Christ still carries its full meaning of Israel's anointed king, 
the one in whom God's purposes are summed up and brought to fulfillment. Belonging to the king, he belonged to the king. And, and, what, and what Saul does for really the rest, rest of his ministry is he's telling the world, you know, I know that there were these specific promises about Messiah made to Israel, but it's not just about Israel. It's about the whole world. And he also is the strongest voice for, you know, I know it makes no sense that God would send Messiah, Messiah would come, and Messiah would die, but that he had to die. And this is why he died. And this is why there's resurrection. So, so Paul is just like totally sold out to, yes, we are people who belong to the king. The Messiah has come. His kingdom is coming. It's coming. That's why Saul's in the mix. And then when you, when you have this mention of Agabus, I think what Luke is trying to communicate to us is, hey, there's not two things happening here. There's not something for Jews happening in Jerusalem and something for Gentiles happening in Antioch. It's, it's, it's one church. It's one Lord. And yeah, in the context of Israel, disciples, maybe that, that has a ring to it that fits Jerusalem better. But the king's people includes disciples in Jerusalem of Jewish background and now the followers of Jesus with Greek and Jewish background in Antioch. It's really the same. You have this connection, this pipeline between Barnabas coming from Jerusalem. These prophets are visiting Antioch from Jerusalem. And then there's this prophecy, and then the Christians in Antioch say, hey, we care about those folks in Jerusalem, so let's, let's take up an offering, and let's, let's send what we can so they can survive this famine. So there's not, there's, two things aren't happening. It's one thing, but it's just getting bigger. And God's trying to communicate, well, we're going we're gonna to keep moving because i got the globe in my mind. And so we're going to just kind of help everybody understand one Lord, one church really one name. And then it comes down to you and me. I mean, this is our history. This is our root. And I, I, just, I just want us, I just want it, I don't know, I just want it to soak in. I mean, I know that I, I'm very hesitant, like many of you, to use the title Christian. The meaning of Christian has been eroded. Personally, I think too many Christians have been obnoxious. I don't think we've represented Jesus well. I don't think we've represented our name well. And so there's kind of a redemption here for me because what Christian means is we are the king's people. We're the king's people. Look at your neighbor and say, we are the king's people. If there's anything I would ask you to remember today, remember this. We are the king's people. We are the people who belong to Messiah. We are the people that belong to God's anointed king. We are the people who belong to the Christ. That's what it means to be Christian. We're the king's people. And we're members of a large and a strong, multicultural, historic, global community. 
At times, we've represented our king well. At other times, we've not represented our king well. But we get a chance. This is our opportunity. We cannot deny who we've been connected with. We've got history. Some of that history is good. Some of that history is bad. But maybe we can redeem it by being the king's people to our generation. And maybe it just takes that. Are you a Christian? No, I'm one of the king's people. What does that mean? Then you get to explain what that means. You might want to work on that. And we get to express our identity, being the king's people, being part of something much bigger than our generation, much bigger than our city, much bigger than this little church building. We get to express our identity with a lifestyle of the kingdom. See, who I am and who you are, if we're the king's people, we live in such a way that it speaks, it announces who our king is and what his kingdom stands for. So the thing that I would ask us to do, one, to remember, we are the king's people. I mean, I don't know how you stamp that. I don't know where you put that. You know, some of us will remember that for three minutes, others of us for 30 days. I don't know, but I want all of us to remember it. And every day say, we are the king's people. And to pray these two prayers. Influence us today with the power and the dignity of your rule. Influence us today with the power and the dignity of your rule. That's just, a, that's just another way of saying, let your kingdom come. You see, letting his kingdom come is something that revolutionizes our life now. It's not just about later. It's about Jesus. We are your people. You are our king. So influence us today with your rule. Influence us today with your authority and with your dignity. Now we're, just, we're inviting him to change our being from the inside out. And then we get to say, O King, what do you want to do through us for our generation? What do you want to do? See, it's not about, oh, Jesus, let us tell you what we're going to do for you. I mean, truthfully, what can we really do for Jesus? What, what do you do for the guy who all authority in heaven and earth is his? What do, you, what do you do for that guy? Truthfully, 
I mean, and then, we, then it gets kind of, Jesus, we're going to build this building for you. And he's going, really? That's, 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 what you, that's what you got from my life and my ministry? You're going to build buildings for me? Really? What are you going to do in those buildings? Well, we're going to have meetings. You're going to have meetings. Yeah, we're going to have, me- we're going to have, me- we're going to have lots of meetings. We're going to have so many meetings that people are going to get tired of meeting. Oh, that's what you're going to do. With, that's what you're going to do. Huh? That's, is that what my kingdom is about? Buildings and meetings? What about the state of our world? What about our families? What about our neighbors? What about our economy? Jesus not care about any of that? He just wants us to meet in buildings? Or is he trying to say, you know, I want my kingdom to come through you, my people, in your generation. So we position ourselves by just simply saying, Jesus, what do you want to do? What do you want to do through us for our generation? Now, it may take us the rest of our generation to figure out what it is, but at least we're trying to figure out what it is. We're the king's people. We're the king's people. The king of the universe. The king of eternity. We belong to him. And our lifestyle must match who we're aligned with by inviting him on a daily or many, how many times, whatever it takes, influence us, influence us, influence, establish, establish, let it come, let it come, let your rule come. And let us do what you want us to do. See, that's how this, law, this, this large, this strong, this multicultural community, that, that's how it keeps healthy. How it continues to bless. And so what I'd really ask us to do is just really, let's just stand together. And I'm just going to ask just a couple of questions. You know, one of the most important questions that we could ask, and I'm just going to raise a series of questions. The one is, do you belong to the king? Do you belong to the king? And the way you belong to him is real simple. It's through faith. I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I believe that Jesus is God's anointed king. I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. I believe. That's how, you be- that's how you belong. It's just an act of faith. 
If there's any doubt in your mind, I don't know, this would be a great day to say, you know, if you do, I mean, if you do, if you do believe, then this is a great time for you to say, you know, I believe because I want to be one of the, the king's people. Then can, could I just, how, how can you remember what Christian means? How can, like, how can you remember just that little, we are the king's people? How can you remember that? Now, would you just decide that now? I really don't want us to forget that, because I think that's real important. Some of us stick things on the mirrors. You know, so you see it every morning. Some of us stick, stick things on the, you know, dashboard of our car. You know, what, how do you, what's your memory system? Because I know that most of us have trouble with memory. We're the king's people. How are we going to remember that? Then the last thing is, how is that going to become a reality? How, how are we going to pray? Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth today. You see, if we as a community of people, just a small community of people, can decide that this is who we are and this is what we do? You, you do realize that a smaller group than us changed the world in the generation we're reading about. Do we want something different for our generation? I, I know I do. And it's right there. God's gift to us. Here you go. So Jesus, thank you. Thanks for coming. Thanks for visiting our planet. Thank you for interrupting history. Thank you for finally looking down on humanity and saying enough is enough. Something's got to give. Thank you that you came. God's anointed king came. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your ministry. Thank you for your death. Thank you for your resurrection. Through all of that, thank you for showing us that you are indeed the one and only true Messiah of not only Israel, but all of the world. And thank you that you are inviting all of us to belong to you so that we can go through this life knowing that we are the king's people. We belong to Jesus. We belong to the Messiah. We belong to the Christ. We belong to God's anointed king. And thank you that you are inviting us to step into a lifestyle that is new and better than what we've ever lived before. And thank you that you just you activate that by just simply inviting us to pray. Let your kingdom come. Influence us today with the power and dignity of your rule. And let us do what you want to do through us on the earth today. Lord, let those prayers stick with us. Let that identity stick. Holy Spirit, help us to remember and to begin to live 
with this identity and with a lifestyle that matches it. And Lord, may we bless this generation in ways that you long for. Lord, thank you. We bless you. We're your people in your name. Amen. If you want to talk any more about this topic or you want to pray any, you know, I'm going to stay right here. You're welcome. We're going to have more conversation. Visit with each other, drink all the coffee, eat all the cookies, whatever.